3 a.m. Tales of Terror contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, and welcome to 3 a.m. Tales of Terror. I'm your host, Jamie. And before we get into it, I just want to let you guys know that Charlie has been unable to do the podcast with me anymore. So I'm going to be switching co-hosts, and I hope that that is okay. I'm switching co-host to my husband, Kenny. Hi. So we're not going to change any of the dynamic up. I'm going to read. He's going to read. We're going to conversate. It's going to be the same exact thing as it was with me and Charlie so nothing's going to change literally just a voice so (laughs) I hope that is okay with you guys and I hope that you know the dynamic can still be the same I'm sure I mean it might be a little bit different because we're married but you know (laughs) so but yeah so uh in today's episode we're going to be telling you the story of Waverly Plantation in Mississippi I can't remember the city what did I say? Do you remember that it was um, in New Point, West Point, West Point? One of those. It's in Loudons County, Miss Loudus, Loudus. I don't know how to say it. So, but yeah, it's in Mississippi. He was just born in Georgia. It's okay. You, this is my first time. <laughs> he's done learning. <laughs> yeah, so go easy on me, because one, reading's hard. Yeah. Two, talking hard and i also don't think that he's like he's got to get used to not to talking to people without like seeing them (laughs) yeah because i've had 36 episodes to get used to that and he has not so (laughs) i'm just the technical advisor and i buy the equipment that's about it yeah he spends all the money so all right would you like to start yes okay so Upon entering the main brick gates, a rich green path of shrubbery guides visitors to the Italian marble steps leading to the front door. It's a stunning sight of grandeur that causes its guests to halt in their footsteps as they approach. Two giant towering white columns line the front of the mansion, and the octagonal-shaped cupola rests atop the fourth floor like a crown claiming its glory as the mansion overlooks the Tom Bigby River, which, as you guys know, we've already been to the Tom Bigby River before. So, you can refer back to that episode if you want to as well. Colonel George Young was born on December 28, 1799, into a large middle-class family of planters in Oglethorpe County, Georgia. George was the youngest of six children. It is unclear how he received the title of Colonel. Young George started out his professional work life as a lawyer, after graduating with honors from the University of Georgia. At the age of 26, George married the love of his life, Lucy, in 1825. George began practicing law in Lexington, Georgia. He also served his community by being the representative for the county of Oglethorpe in in the Georgia legislature. Six of the couple's children were born in Georgia. George Young's first love, though, was being a planter having grown up on a farm himself. When the opportunity presented itself, Young made use of this opportunity, having saved a lot from his lucrative profession. 
He left his law practice in Georgia and moved to Loudons County, Mississippi in 1833 with his growing family in tow in hope of buying some fertile land. Sure enough, in 1835, the Pontotoc Land Office put on the real estate market the newly acquired Chickasaw Native American tribal lands. Colonel George Young was able to buy thousands of acres in the prairies of present Clay and Monroe counties and the Waverly section of land on the prime location near the Tom Bigby River. He went to work setting up successful plantations using the customary slave labor and his own know-how. Young built a plantation house at one of these plantations near the town of West Point. His wife, Lucy Woodson Watkins Young, gave birth to the last four of their children here. Her youngest daughter was born in 1841. I'm just saying that that's the <laughs> you you had to practice saying her I name know, dude, so like, many times. Like six times. <laughs> it's the Woodson Watkins. She's got a name, boy. <laughs> it's rough, man. Colonel George Young also had financial interest along the river to provide boat transportation for his crops and other businesses. He built a two-story log dog trot cabin on the property in 1842 and moved his family there. The advantage of this location would allow him to be closer to his financial action on the river. In 1842, George Young also built a brick plantation office just left of the Waverly property destined to be the family forever mansion. He probably wanted to have a boatload of money saved from the profits gotten from his plantations and river businesses in order to build this showcase mansion right. In 1852, the year that the Waverly Plantation House was built, Lucy died at the age of 52. She may have gotten to live here for a short time, but at least she didn't have to experience the deaths of two of her children in the 1860s. This head-turning, magnificent mansion was indeed worth the wait for the young family, a showcase mansion in which to continue to raise their younger children, 11 to 20 years in this grand place, all of which reach adulthood. The whole family was together for family events and holidays. The Colonel George Young Plantation at Waverly Property was, quote, a self-sustaining community complete with gardens, orchards, and livestock. During the 1840s and 1850s, Waverly was more than Young's base of operations. It was also a loose cluster of homes that were owned by plantation owners who farmed outlying plantations, including two of his sons, James and Thomas. Indeed, most of the plantation owners were related to the Colonel George Young family. There were also a number of African-American slaves living in and around Waverly. Colonel George's family enjoyed life in this mansion. Several of his kids were married in the parlor. Waverly was the social center of the neighborhood, and weekly dances were held in its large, spacious ballroom, probably on, probably on the fourth floor. During the Civil War, Waverly House and the Young family did their duty for the Confederate war effort. All six of George Young's sons went to war. One of his sons gave his all. George's third son, Beverly Daniel Young, was in the 11th Infantry Regiment that was organized at Corinth, Mississippi in May 1861. Sons of Columbus joined the Confederate service at Lynchburg, Virginia. Private Beverly Daniel Young fought bravely at First and Second Manassas Battles, Battle of Seven Pines, Cold Harbor Action, Battle of Petersburg and Gaines Mill, and finally the brutal three-day Battle of Gettysburg, where he was seriously wounded, shot in the leg, and captured. 
He was sent to the David's Island prisoner of war camp, which was severely overcrowded. It probably had questionable medical care. During the Civil War, POWs on both sides had no rights as prisoners. It is not surprising that Beverly Daniel Young died there from a gangrene infection on August 28, 1863. Gang, gang. <laughs> oh my God. <clears throat> okay. Beverly was buried in Cypress Hill Cemetery, Long Island, grave number 78, on August 29, 1863. A short while later, his body was retrieved by influential family friends and reburied in the family plot at George Hampton Young Family Cemetery. The other five sons survived the Civil War, though son Thomas died in 1869 at the age of 38 years old. Meanwhile, Colonel George Young and his daughters held the fort. The Waverly House became a hospital for recovering Confederate wounded, more than likely officers, and as a sanctuary to others in need as well, including Isabella Buchanan Edmondson, a Confederate scout and spy. He <laughs> didn't know Eli was in here. What are you doing? Right. Okay. <laughs> well, the cat is in here, so you might hear him. Unless we let him out in a minute. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. You good? Yeah. The most important wounded soldier was Lieutenant General Nathan Bedford Forrest himself. He was the brave Confederate leader who led his troops to stop the Yankee invasion of Columbus. You know this makes you sound like a fucking sympathizer, right? In this writing. The brave. Help them Yankees. I did not write it, though. Okay, nonetheless. After suffering wounds... <laughs> after suffering wounds from his this conflict, Forrest was sent to recuperate at Waverly Plantation House. He became good friends with Colonel George Hamilton Young in the process and was a frequent visitor. Lieutenant General Forrest spent his three weeks recuperating in the Egyptian room and began to use parts of Waverly as Confederate headquarters. The octagonal cupola of the house made a dandy observation place for watching the river and the prairie for Yankee troop movement. During the turbulent repressive reconstruction years following the Civil War, many homeless families found a place to stay at Waverly Mansion. While the result of the Civil War ended an entire culture of slavery and plantations, Colonel George Young didn't cry over spilt milk, but made use of what he still had. After managing to pay the high tax leveled at the estate during the Reconstruction, Colonel Young went forward putting people to work on his large acreage, working at his tannery, and etc. In Waverly's later history, the plantation boasted its own lumber mill, leather tannery, and hat manufacturing. After Colonel Young died in 1880, Waverly Mansion was passed down to Colonel Young's children, the two sons who were still bachelors. William, a.k.a. Captain Billy, and Val moved into Waverly Mansion. It's it's octagonal, but, you know, it, whatever. It's literally octagonal. What? No, I don't think you're right at that. This is a hill I'm willing to die on. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Captain Billy had too much fun wooing the ladies to get married and was a party animal, loving to host parties. Val loved to gamble and sponsored card games in the Waverly and cockfights in the front yard, not conductive to settling down with a lady. I'm assuming that means chicken fights, like roosters fighting. 
Out of the two brothers, Captain Billy lived the longest and stayed in Waverly Mansion until he died in 1913 at a very ripe old age. After the death of Captain Billy, there was a disagreement on what to do with the family home. Some wanted to sell it, while some wanted to keep it as a family possession. Apparently, no one could afford to live there as the mansion needed a lot of care and upkeep inside and out. So, while the home was under the control of the family, no one moved inside. They kept up with the property taxes, but put no funds into maintaining the grounds or mansion. They locked the door and abandoned it one sad day in 1913. During the 50 years of neglect, local young people found new purposes for this property, while nature took over gradually. It became a party place, a grand setting for the local college's fraternity activities, as the lock on the gate was easily picked. Both the spirits of Captain Billy and Val would have approved. Because no effort was made by anyone to offer maintenance, the once lovely greenery became like a jungle, and lucky members of the animal kingdom enjoyed the high life inside. Vines grew on the double staircases. Bees loved having their 200-pound hive up in the cupola. Besides the critters and loud parties thrown by the area's young adults, spirits who were attached to the place stayed and perhaps threw some loud parties with ulterior motives, noticed by African Americans who lived about a mile away. Sorry, I got a pet kitty. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Showtime. Showtime. <laughs> what, no Beetlejuice? Oh my god. Along came Mr. and Mrs. Donna. No? Talk to my guy all wrong. <laughs> Stop. Okay. <laughs> Along came Mr. and Mrs. Donna and Robert Snow, who were antique dealers. They were looking for the right fixer-upper opportunity in Mississippi, willing to spend a buttload of money to make this lucky property their forever family home. In 1962, the Snow family fell completely in love with this property and bought this extreme fixer-upper opportunity and all 35 of its acres. As we came around a huge oak tree, we stopped dead in our tracks, absolutely breathless, mesmerized. There was the house rising up out of the jungle, four stories high, with the dome set against the bluest sky. Vines clung to the house and swayed in the breeze. The porch floor had collapsed, and the marble steps were scattered in the yard. We scarcely spoke. First thing on the agenda was to hack away at the jungle of undergrowth so repairs could be done to the sagging front porch. Taking their restoration work inside, there were more challenges. The animals and beasties had to be evicted. The biggest job was removing the gigantic beehive in the cupola. That's octagonal. The snows restored the rotunda and the cupola with seven months of work. And so it began. Waverly Mansion was given a new life with a new family. At some point, the Waverly Mansion was suitable for humans once more, and the Snow family, Donna and Robert, and their four children moved inside and shared their beautiful forever home with the public, making it a house museum. They continued in the never-ending restoration efforts, area by area. All four of their children were married in the parlor alcove like George's young children. All the hard work, sweat, equity, and buttload of money invested was well worth it. It says boatload, not buttload. He's just being funny. You want me to say metric ass ton? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
Not only was this Waverly Mansion put on the 1978 NRHP, it was recognized as a Mississippi historical landmark, which is quite a high honor. The final restoration project that Donna saw was the parlor done in 1990. She died in 1991. However, when the time came to decide what to do with the Waverly Mansion, the Snow children did a better job than the young children. When Robert Snow was slightly dying of a disease in 2016, the family knew they had to find someone that could carry on maintaining and restoring Waverly Mansion. The children were in their 60s and didn't have the means to live there or the energy needed to do so. It was a painful decision. While the 8,000-square-foot mansion with 34 acres was deemed to be worth $2,975,000, the family sold Waverly Mansion for $1.2 million to new owners who had not only had Oh, who not only had funds to maintain it, but looked with great enthusiasm and energy at the house as a treasure that needed to be available to the public and had a dream to restore many of the buildings that once stood on the property. The Stevens also planned to build a smaller home next door to Waverly Mansion to live in, leaving the Waverly Mansion to be strictly a house museum. The furniture and family antiques were included in the price. The bonus of getting this property at a lower price than it was assessed also ensured that the new owners had upfront money to continue to develop the property. The spirits who loved Waverly Mansion while alive must have been thrilled. So now we're getting into the hauntings, finally. I know that was a lot of history, but finally getting into the hauntings. The hauntings. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <clears throat> Children and senior citizens have long been vulnerable to deadly illness and accidents. Sometime during the Civil War years, a young female child died at Waverly Plantation due to a fatal case of diphtheria. In 1874, young Susan Hamilton, probably related to the Young family in some way, had a tragic accident on the central staircase. There are two stories on how she died. She got her head caught in the spindles and broke her neck. The problem with this story is that the spindles are too close together for a young child to actually stick their head between them. She fell down the steep and dangerous stairs and broke her neck that way. Children who die sometimes stick around the place that they liked, or they yearn to find their mother. The spirit of little Susan and or the first little girl who died here have made their presence very known. Spirit people who loved their forever home or favorite place in this world while alive sometimes like to visit or stay. A variety of spirits still love this mansion. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Do, do you want to be a part of the podcast now? Okay. 3 a.m. Tales from Kikmo. <laughs> Sometimes the spirits of soldiers killed in battle will go home to their favorite place in this world. The spirit of Beverly Young may be the soldier seen at the mansion. As Columbus was a hospital town for the Confederacy, the wounded were sent and sometimes treated in the town homes and inns to try to recover. This happened throughout the southern states. Waverly Plantation House operated as a hospital for the wounded. Sometimes deceased soldiers liked to visit the place where they stayed as a wounded soldier but weren't in the shape needed to enjoy the surroundings. The spirit of a Confederate soldier could be a wounded soldier who died here. When a property is neglected or something needs attention, spirits can try to get the attention of the living. Spirits who loved this place couldn't have been too happy 
at the living who had failed to take care of this mansion. Colonel George Young or other family member may have been the unhappy spirit trying to get the attention of the living to fix his former forever home. Structures that have been reconstructed on where they originally stood may in the future draw back interested spirits who once lived and worked there. The Stevens, the new owners of the Waverly Mansion, have plans to rebuild the structures that Mr. Young had established. It is possible that the people who had connections to these structures may come back and visit. So now we're going to talk about the spirit of two young girls, the spirit of Sarah Hamilton. Described as being four years old with dark blonde hair, she wears a white high neck gown. It was surmised that it was her that was often plainly seen playing on the double staircases. Miss Snow noticed an imprint of a child sleeping on one of the beds upstairs. One night, both the Snows stayed up and watched the bed. Sure enough, a little unseen presence climbed up the side of the bed and laid down on the bed. After an hour or two, this unseen presence got up and slipped down the side of the bed. Miss Snow would hear a little voice behind her saying, Mama? One day, when she heard this plaintive, sad little voice, she turned around, squatted down, and asked the ghost child in a kind manner, Can I help you? What's the matter? The spirit of the little girl who died from diphtheria, she may be the spirit seen playing on the stairs. And also, spirits have tried to get the attention of the living. To try to get their mansion fixed during the 50 years of abandonment, when the mansion was neglected, neighbors could hear loud 1800s music coming from the mansion. Some think the music is residual. Some think the music was caused by spirits trying to get the attention of the living, the adults that had not appreciated it. Enormously loud crashes have been heard in the house, yet nothing found disturbed. Doors heard slamming shut, but none found closed. And also the spirit of the Confederate, of the Confederate soldier. Most probably the spirit of Beverly Young, like father, like son. This playful spirit gets his chuckles by appearing behind a living person who is looking in one of the full-length mirrors. Spirits of soldiers often like to tease the living. And there's also the spirit of George Young himself. He likes to appear in the mansion's mirrors in front of the living. What did you think of the story? Did you like it? I mean, yeah, I like 100% get why the spirits would be all pissed off. I mean, the guy built literally 35 acres, and then his grandchildren neglected it? Um, kids neglected it. His the kids, kids. The kids neglected it. His kids, it's but like, his kids were 60 years old when he died. Yeah, I'd still haunt the shit out of him. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's just wrong. You did all that, and then you just hawk it? Like, yeah. Even even Eli disagrees with that. <laughs> the good thing is at least they have it as the house museum now, so you can visit it. You can, yeah. I don't know if there's like ticket prices or anything. You could probably go to their website if they have one. I'm not right. sure. I didn't use that. Um, I didn't use their website if they had one as a um, resource. One, the one thing that I'm curious about is I wonder if because it's a child's spirit mm-hmm. playing on the stairs. Yeah. If kids are more susceptible, because kids are always more susceptible to seeing mm-hmm. spirits and stuff like that. So I wonder if I wonder if it's a two-way street. Like, is the ghost going to be like, hey, don't play on the stairs? Right. Or, come play on the stairs with me, like the sketchy side of it. Right. I don't know. I didn't find any 
thing about that. So I don't, I don't know. It's possible. But obviously, like, the adults, like, the, so George Young and his son, Beverly, the soldier who died, he likes to, they both like to get into mirrors. So mm. that, that's a, that's a good, that, that, that makes you not want to go into see mirrors <laughs> i just cover up all the mirrors in the house right <laughs> and be like ah. well i mean and the main thing is too normally with like civil war and stuff like that because of the super sketchy like oh man you got shot in the leg well gotta amputate it yeah i feel like everybody's all and back then they didn't really give you a fake leg you were just kind of done for well no but i mean most of the time with the civil war because nobody wanted to fight it in the first place right and he fought several battles remember his son he fought like four or five different battles and gettysburg so but yeah no i think it's a good story i like it yeah okay well hopefully everybody liked my voice um yeah if not you can email us at info at tales of three am tales of terror.com there you go he got it yeah woo he's he's gotta learn all the social media (laughs) hashtags you and People have messaged me on Instagram. You can message the Facebook page. Um, yeah, you can email. You can write um, a message on the website itself. So 3amtalesofterror.com. You can go on there and send a message and it goes straight to my email. So you can do that. But yeah, if I'm talking too fast, I'm kind of new to all of this. So. Yeah, let us know. He needs. He probably needs more critiquing, you know. But it's fine. Of course, I, do, I think she's perfect. Oh know? my god, <laughs> I think he did fine. So, um, my one resource for this story though was hauntedhouses.com. So you can go there and learn more, or if they have a website, you can go there and see if you can visit it, or if you have been there. As always, if you've been to the places that we talk about, let us know. So. That would be great. Did you have anything else? No, that's about it. For the, okay. That's about it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Well, I guess y'all are stuck with me. Yeah. So. And so also we're going to make a new ending. So, you know, it's me and him talking and not me and Charlie. So end of an era, I guess. It's okay. Start new, start fresh, and hopefully you guys still like it. So. I guess other than that, we'll... See you next week. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for coming to hang out with us and letting us tell you stories. Don't forget, you can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at 3AM Tales of Terror. You can find pictures from each episode there as well as our website, 3, the number 3, 3AM Tales of Terror.com. You can also subscribe with your email at our website for updates as well. If you have questions or story ideas for us, you can email us at info at 3amtalesofterror.com. If you want to support us, you can sign up to become part of our Patreon. There you will get ad-free episodes as well as bonus content. We hope you'll join us next week. And And we we hope hope you you are terrified. terrified.